Every day, people of God, we are getting to the end of this letter and to the end of this sermon series, and we've been showing you people just living out their faith day to day in their, just on the front lines of their life. And we've been showing our global mission partners right alongside just uh, sort of everyday people in our church who are living it out. So whether you're Abby running a, on a treadmill and, and praising God and praying for your classmates or Bethany with the uh, text to Toasty. So if you pay attention, here's my, if you pay attention to the sermon real close, at the end of it, I'll give you the number to text so you can get a grilled Nutella sandwich <laughs> delivered to you and answers to your spiritual questions. So I'm just kidding. I would never give that number up. <laughs> I have spiritual questions and I'm hungry. Um, today, today is Palm Sunday. Today is uh, where churches celebrate the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And again, we'll gather on Thursday for our Monday, Maundy Thursday Tenebrae service. Again, Easter next week at the Andover High School Collins Center. Please join us for these celebrations. Uh, but today's Palm Sunday. We remember Jesus entering the city, the triumphal entry, as we call it, and people hailing Jesus as a king and waving palm branches and crying, Hosanna, God save us, and Hosanna to the King of Israel. Blessed is the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they hailed Jesus as king, and they were right. The people were right. Jesus is king. He's king of all creation. Yet it's what's striking to us is how Jesus was a king and how he led. The Gospel of Matthew describes in Matthew 21, says all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus enters the city as a king, but not as a conquering king on a horse. He comes as the rightful king in peace and gentleness and humble and riding on a donkey. And we've been journeying through the letter that Peter wrote to the churches scattered through the provinces of Asia Minor. And he's, today he addresses, we're coming to the end of the letter, he addresses leaders in the church. He addresses them specifically. That God has given the church leaders to shepherd and to guide and to lead well for the, for the work of ministry. And what we see here is when we understand how Jesus led, how Jesus used his authority as a king, we then see the, here in these instructions how any leader is to lead. Here he specifically addresses elders. This is a common New Testament designation for a leader. In other places, we see the, the term, the title overseer or pastor, shepherd. Here they're used somewhat interchangeably. Other parts of the New Testament somewhat interchangeably. There are Christian traditions that have more uh, specific usages of, of some of these terms, but here we're going to use them interchangeably. And honestly, every, every Christian on some level is called to be a leader, that we've received something from Jesus that we are now called to build into someone else so that we, have, uh, we are discipling others. So on, on some level, these principles of leadership apply to all of us, but here specifically in the context of, of eldership. So the instruction 
that we see in the letter today answers the question, in light of Jesus, who is the great king, Jesus, the chief shepherd, how are we to lead well? How should leaders in the church lead well? Also addressed in this part of the letter is how should followers follow well? So leaders need to lead well and followers need to follow well. And then there's a little shift towards the end of this passage of Scripture about being dressed well or being clothed well. And there's three ways that are addressed there. We'll get to that. But let's pray as we, as we approach God's word together. Father God, you are good and you are here. And we, we gather in your name to worship you. But we do humbly ask, Lord, that as we reflect on your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would open our hearts to understand what you want us to know and how you want us to respond, Lord. So this time is yours. This is your word. It is true. And we just ask you to do your work through it. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So lead well, follow well, and dress well. First of all, lead well. We see this verse 2. Be shepherds. Again, he's addressing the elders in verse 1. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And we see the word shepherd or pastor and the word watching over, same as overseer. Be, be shepherds and watch over the, the flock. And it's interesting here now, the instruction isn't organizationally, here's how you lead a, a church. Here's how you lead other people. The instruction here isn't what to do, it's more how to lead. In what manner should you lead? So the manner of leadership is much more important than the method of leadership. Other places in the New Testament, you see qualifications for leaders in the church, for elders. And they're not lists of skills. These are the skills you need for people to lead. It's much more matters of the heart. Here's the character of a leader. So as you look in Timothy and Titus, you'll see these lists. And it's much more about the character in the heart. Jesus, Jesus taught that the heart was the more important thing, even than your actions. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, you can say the right things, you can do the right things, but I want your heart. I want all of who you are to trust me, not just to be diligent or efficient or skillful or savvy. It's, it's your heart that I want. The Apostle Paul taught the same thing. His famous chapter on, on love in, in 1 Corinthians He's saying, you could do all these great things. You could, uh, you could speak in languages. You could have wisdom and you could, you could fathom things and prophesy. And you could, you could have all this stuff. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. It's just a hollow sound. It's, without love, it's, it's not there. And, and here, with leadership, you could, be, you could be a fantastic organizational leader. You could be a very successful leader. But here the teaching is in God's family, in God's flock. If you want to be a leader, it's not about your skill. It's about your heart and how you lead. In three ways that he describes that here. The first in verse 2. Leading not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. So leadership is difficult, and leader, leading people is difficult. And we're to enter into it with hearts that are open to serve, not 
under some sort of obligation. And secondly, continuing in verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So a leader is, is primarily, not just a leader, but primarily a servant that leaders serve. And that should come as a comfort to any group of Christians where if you have leaders above you who primarily see themselves as servants, that you know when there's a tough decision to be made that the interest of the flock to be served is, is higher than any self-interest or any, uh, any other gain to be had. And there are, in, you know, in this church, there are difficult decisions that groups of elders have to make at times. But when those calls are made, they're under the authority of Jesus, the chief shepherd, and in mind, the heart of serving, not of gaining anything from it. Third aspect of this leadership, this, this manner of elder leadership, verse 3. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's where the shepherd image is a very powerful image in Scripture. And that as leaders were called to be shepherds, there, there was a, a story told of a tour guide in, in the Holy Lands. Would take groups of tourists to visit the sites and they were on a bus. And some of you have been on tours like that and visited these places. And the... The tour guide was explaining to the tourists about, how, about shepherds. So, you know, when you see shepherds and these images of shepherds in the Bible, a shepherd is a powerful image because shepherds lead by example. They, they will lead ahead of the flock. As opposed to if you were driving cattle, you would you know, drive from behind and sort of push them along. But a shepherd is different. A shepherd leads from the front and calls the sheep by name, come with me, we're going to a good place, and I'm, I'm going first, and follow me, follow me. So the bus was going on, and they looked out the window, and they saw a shepherd and some sheep, and the shepherd was behind the flock, hitting them with a stick, and the tourist said, hey, look at that, what's, what's the deal with this? And the tour guide actually stopped the bus, got off the bus, and went to talk to this person about what was going on. And uh, the tour guide came back on the bus with a smile on his face. He said, hey, I, I, I was sorted this out. That man is not a shepherd. He's the butcher. <laughs> but the image is true. A, a shepherd knows the flock and cares for them and leads from, from the front. And always mindful of the chief shepherd, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Whenever there's people in leadership, I know there are, there are those who say, well, what's the, what's the motive? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to change? What are they trying to accomplish? In, but in, in the Christian faith, leaders are those whose motivation is to please the chief shepherd. The main motivation is to make him happy, not, to, not for any other gain or, or agenda. In Jesus, the, the chief shepherd, if we're mindful of him, we remember the example of the chief shepherd who said, I have come to this world not to be served, but to serve. To give my life as a, a ransom for many, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
That's how the chief shepherd operates. And as anybody who is a leader or an under-shepherd of Jesus, that's the same motivation. Not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives for people. Here at Free Christian Church, we do have elders, people who have that role. Uh, you, you saw a number of them up here for the new member ceremony. Membership is part of, uh, falls under eldership at the church. But we recently did some surveys this year, and we were, one of the things that we learned from the surveys is a lot of people in our congregation were asking the question, who are the elders of the church, and what exactly do they do? Because I don't know. So on the who they are question, so you saw Steve and John and Cindy and Wendy were up here. Uh, Lynette was here earlier. She usually worships in North Andover. Chris uh, is, uh, is also serving on the board. Their names are listed on the back of your bulletin every week, so you could remember to pray for them, or if you wanted to talk to one of them, uh, you could talk to them if you're at the same service. Uh, but we, those, the six elders plus the senior pastor, so I serve as elder of the church, and they serve essentially a three-year term. So every year, two of the elders are finishing their term, and then two new elders serve. And we've had a number of you sitting out here who have served in that role of elder. And people often ask the question, or sometimes ask the question, is this church an elder-led church, or is it sort of a staff-led church? And I say, I can't answer that question, because this is a Jesus-led church. And so we follow Jesus. Jesus is leading, but there are people in different roles in different ways. And the role of elder at Free Christian Church falls broadly into two main categories. One is vision and direction. And the other category is functional boundaries. So by vision and direction, I mean this. We're searching scripture, listening to the congregation, considering where we're at, and asking the question, where is God leading us? What is the future? What is the vision that God is calling us towards that we can pursue? So they do things like strategic planning, and we pray, and we just trying to discern, where is God leading us collectively, this direction? So that's vision and direction. But with that, there's functional boundaries around that. So we're heading in this direction, but we need to stay within certain boundaries. For example, the Bible. We, we can't, this is where we're headed, but you can't be mean to widows and orphans on your way to get there. We, we can't, you know, we can't uh, have unresolved conflict on, on the way towards this vision. We need to, uh, to put boundaries around it. We put financial boundaries. You know, we're heading in this direction, but we can't do it by spending money we don't have or being irresponsible with resources. There's different policy-type things so that we are heading in a good direction in a good way. So it's, much, it's a big-picture kind of stuff. Therefore, the elders don't manage ministry initiatives and make real specific ministry decisions. There's a, there are groups of leaders, staff, and volunteer leaders who then take that, here's the direction, here's the boundaries, and they can just run in faith towards Jesus, what he's calling us to, in that way. And so, uh, so it's not a management thing so much. It's, it's much more about vision and, and direction. But they do want to hear from you, hear your heart, your concerns, your questions. So you can contact the elders of the church. You can email elders at freechristian.org, or you could find one of them after a service, uh, call me at the office. We, would, uh, we want to hear from you and communicate with you. So, uh, but 
Again, the heart of, of Christian leadership isn't so much exactly how we organize ourselves. It's the condition of our hearts. How are the elders of this church doing according to this list here? These three things. Are they willing servants? I would say absolutely yes. Are they doing this for dishonest gain or as servants? And that's almost funny. It, uh, there's not really many perks to serving on the board of elders here at the church um, other than to make the chief shepherd happy, and that's just a great motivation. So there's nothing gained by those who serve on the board. Um, are they living as examples to the flock? Now, that's a good question, and that's a very, very important question that I'd want to know. Are the leaders, are these leaders leading by example? And I would say absolutely yes, and that we've made made it a, a main priority to make sure that this is the case. We meet, do business meetings twice a month, but we've added a meeting once a month to meet just as a small group, to care for each other's souls, and to ask questions like, how are you doing spiritually? How's your walk with the Lord? Who in your life are you praying for? Who's on your pray for six? So that we can pray too, with you and for you. Who... Uh, who, how, how's it going on the front line of your life and the front line of your ministry at, at your place of work or in your home? And where is God at work in that? And where are you struggling? And we meet and we pray for one another because if we're not living, living these things out as leaders, how can we possibly ask other people to live out this way of life as well? So that's, that's elders at Free Church. That's kind of how we do that. But for, for any of us who, or any of you, if you are leading anyone, wherever you volunteer or serve or somebody you're discipling, that you can lead well, mindful of the chief shepherd who came to serve and give his life for us. So we lead well. So leading well is important, but secondly, following well is also important. So verse 5, Peter continues. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders so not necessarily younger by age here, but by position of being under leadership. Submit to elders is the instruction here. And submission has been a theme of this letter, if you've been tracking along with us. You know, we submit to civic leaders. We submit in places of work. We submit in marriage. There's this, again, King Jesus, the chief shepherd, submitted his life to God the Father. He used his authority to serve others. He used his power to give his life ultimately to the point of death on a cross for your sins and for mine. That's the, that's the pattern of submission. So Jesus submitted to God the Father. Leaders submit to Jesus. Followers submit to leaders. And, it, and again, this could easily be abused where leaders and churches could sort of forget the chief shepherd and have their own agenda and try to get groups of people to follow. And there's horrible examples in history where that's happened. But as we submit to Christ, the chief shepherd, we, we, submission is not weakness. It's taking your authority and taking your power and putting it under control. Willingly, as under shepherds. So we're not worried about the pecking order in, in an organization. We're worried about Jesus and his heart. Now, this is very difficult for some people who don't want to follow well and, and really just prefer their own ideas as best. Um, 
some people insist on getting their own way in general. But we must be able to follow and follow well. We are called to humbly submit ourselves to the authorities around us. And there's just a great power in the unity when God's people get together and they say, you know, we're going we're gonna to work together on something. Even if I think we could be doing something better or something different or prioritizing something else, you know, we're going to work together and head in a common direction. That God blesses that. And the world sees that and it's powerful. And God is using that. So we follow well. We lead well. We follow well. And now there's a shift in the letter, sort of thematic shift here. We, we dress well. Verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. We, we need to clothe ourselves. We need to dress with humility. Now, again, remembering, Christian humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. There's the old joke where someone says, oh, I just finished this book I've been writing. It's called Humility and How I Achieved It. It's, pr- pride is the enemy of humility. And they're contrasted here in this context. Pride is the ultimate sin. Pride is the sin of Satan wanting to, to be like God. Pride is the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, putting themselves in God's place and not obedient to his command, but feeling that somehow God is holding something back from me. And pride is, is a core sin of, of the human heart. So we need to humble ourselves and continually clothe ourselves in humility. Part of that is going to include verse 7. Take a look at verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that's part of humility. So literally, it's it's humble yourselves, casting, by casting all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. You put your cares to him because his care is for you. Things that concern you, you give to God because God's concern is you. And at the heart of all of our anxieties, and because you got up this morning, my guess is that you probably have cares and concerns in your life. You've probably brought anxieties with you into this room. I have. At the heart of our deepest anxieties really is a failure to trust that God has it, that it's under his sovereignty, that he's he's got it. Whatever the hurt, the stress, the relationship, the financial struggle, whatever it is, God's got it. So we can just cast it to him because he's concerned about it. His concern is you. You know, what are you facing? How can you cast those things, those anxieties to the Lord? And I could preach a separate sermon on that, but this is part of how we daily are clothing ourselves, casting our cares to God. Secondly, we we dress ourselves every day ready for battle. Verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to dress ready. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. And Jesus goes on to say, if a thief was going to rob your house and you knew the hour and the day that the thief was going to rob your house, you'd be ready. You'd be at the door with the bat. 
because you know the exact moment the thief is coming. He said that, that you don't know. And, and you have an enemy, a real enemy. And Satan is real. And, and his demons are real. And there is an attack. And you could go to some Christian groups and they wouldn't even mention Satan, which is kind of an embarrassing side part of the faith. You go to some other Christian groups and all they talk about is the devil. They give the devil credit for everything that's going on in the world. I think those are both dangers to ignore his existence or to just hyper-focus. But we need to be alert and ready because those attacks, and they often come attacks of the mind, they just the lies that, are, that we believe about God, about ourselves, those attacks come. We just need to be ready for it because there is an enemy and the enemy wants to destroy you. But we be alert and sober-minded not because... We always remember that you are not hopeless against the enemy. You, it, the, the danger is not that you're going to be defeated. The danger is that you're not going to fight. Look at verse 9. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Right? The danger is not that you're going to fall, but the danger is that you will fail to resist. Just stand firm in the battleground of your mind. Remember God's truth. Meditate it on, on it daily. Be dressed ready. So we dress in humility Casting our cares on God, we dress ready for the attacks of the enemy, and thirdly, we dress hopeful. We see this in verse 10. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God has called you to this. And there is great hope. You've been called to be part of his family. He's given you forgiveness of your sins and, and salvation because of what Jesus Christ has done. And even though you may suffer, it's just for a little while. Even though you may struggle, there is great hope that God will restore all things, that God will restore you and make you strong in this life and forevermore. So we live every single day with great hope. And God's glorified in this hope. To him be power forever and ever. God is glorified to do this in and through us. You carry that hope with you every day. You put it on in the morning. And you scatter about into the world around. And that's the same hope that the world is going to ask you about. And we are called by God and reminded in this letter that we need to be ready to give an account to anyone who asks us for that hope that we're wearing. We do it with gentleness and respect, but we need to be ready. Clothe yourselves with humility, with readiness, with hope. And we need to be good leaders, we need to be good followers, and we can do this. We can live lives together as the church gathered and as the church scattered to the glory of God, as the everyday people of God. And that's the, end of the, that's the end of the letter. That's it. Look at these words. He closes it out. Verse 12. With the help of Silas, I regard him as a faithful brother. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who was in Babylon, verse 13, uh, that's kind of code language for the church in Rome, the other Christians in Rome. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings. So does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. And he ends this letter the same way he started it. 
reminding them of the true grace of God and the peace of Christ. Remember, way back to the beginning of the letter, he said, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace be yours increasingly. And now he ends by saying, this is the grace of God, and may the peace of Christ be with you, to you. And again, we've been using that language when, when I give the benediction. I've been saying, you know, may the peace of God and the grace of God flow to you in abundance so that the peace of God and the grace of God might flow through you to the world around you. That's the whole point. It's all rooted in the grace of God and the peace that he brings. And that's the end of the letter. But this cannot be the end for us. And hear me, this is not a sermon series that we think about and say that was nice and move on to the next thing. This can't be the flavor of the month. This is now our way of life. We are the everyday people of God. Every day, everywhere you are, whether we gather or we scatter. And we're going to keep using that language, the church gathered, church scattered. We're going to use the language living on the front line of ministry in your life wherever you are. We're going to have more time of equipping. We've got a, a, a seminar tonight of how do, why do we believe the resurrection? How can we believe in something like that? And why do we have confidence that Jesus rose from the dead? And heading into Easter, great to just be reminded of these things. There's information about that. Um, there's going to be other equipping times. How do I have spiritual conversations with people? How do I walk with somebody on their spiritual journey? More equipping, more living it out together. More testimonies from the front line. I want you to... We've been showing these videos... Take a selfie video of yourself on your front line of ministry, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, you know, in your whatever you wear at work. You just, we want those. And we may not use them on a Sunday morning, but we want to celebrate them and, and share them. And there's different ways to do that. So uh, we want those. We want those. Or type it out in an email and send it to me. But we want to just collect more stories. God is on the move. And it's bearing fruit in the lives of people. And we're hearing the stories. We praise him for that. We're also just always prepared to give an account. Just always be ready because you never know when it's going to come. So we continue to pray for people. Continue to pray for six. And we have the pray for six cards and then we just printed a bunch of them. They're on the welcome desk. But you know, make a list of people in your life that you're praying for and pray for opportunities to share the love of Christ with them. If you don't like making lists, don't. Just pray for one. God, give me one person today to show your love to. Continue to pray. Continue to live this out in the life of your small group. Gather with the group and study the scriptures, but don't stop there. Care for one another, but don't stop there. Press on into the mission that God has given you. Ask questions. How's it going this week on the front lines of your life? Where is God at work? Who are you praying for? And explore this together as a group. This is our way of life. How do we know that we can live it out? And I'll leave you with this, verse 12. We, can, we know we can live this out because this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Amen.